Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris, and this is the Weekend Review. I've never done this before, but there are times, whether it's a few days, a week, two weeks, a month, that a pattern seems to emerge connecting a series of events. And this week is no exception. This week, Albert Moeller, Thabitian Wibley, and a website, Mere Orthodoxy, all, I think, responded to critiques made by conservatives like myself, in which we state that, yes, social justice is having an impact and an effect in Christian denominations and institutions. This is significant. I think for a long time, we were ignored, and I think those days are over. I think that we are going to get objections whenever we point this things, these things out. And I think if you're having a conversation, whether it's online or hopefully with real people at your church, perhaps, you need to understand what some of these objections are. So I'm going to give you a paradigm for understanding this and give you some hopefully helpful responses that you can use when this comes out, when, when, when these objections come up. So let's think through this. Let's uh, turn the clock back to last Friday. Last Friday, there was a... <clears throat> compilation released by Enemies Within the Church. I carried it on my podcast, and it was of three professors at Southern, Jarvis Williams, Curtis Woods, and now the provost, Matthew Hall, saying things consistent with critical race theory. Now, this, uh, the videos in this montage were taken from 2014 through 2018, and I've watched now all the videos, uh, the primary sources that were used in this compilation because I wanted to understand in full context where these ideas were coming from, and it is scary. It is scary. It is is worse than the montage makes it look, actually. In one of the uh, videos, Matthew Hall is actually being interviewed with Otis Moss. Otis Moss is the pastor that took over for Jeremiah Wright, Barack Obama's pastor. You know, the guy who said, not God bless America, but God, you know what he said, America. And so, Otis Moss says that white people can't go to heaven, or they can't be saved, and that heaven's going to be a gangster's paradise. Think about that. White people can't go, but it's also going to be a gangster's paradise. And Matthew Hall, in the interview, hearing what Otis Moss is saying, does not contradict Otis Moss. Instead, he actually repeats that heaven is a gangster's paradise. This was not included in the montage, and this is what Matthew Hall, the provost of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, is saying. Absolutely shocking. Uh, I don't know what to say to that. Now, um, I am not the one who said that Matthew Hall believes critical race theory or knows critical race theory. Um, Curtis Woods is the one who said this. So it's not Tom Askell. It's not Tom Buck. It's not A.D. Robles. It's not me. It is Curtis Woods. In a 2016 panel discussion, it is included in the montage, in a room filled with students and professors from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Curtis Woods looks at the crowd and then looks at Matthew Hall. And he says, you know why I appreciate Matthew Hall, because he understands critical race theory. I believe what Curtis Wood said. I think that's exactly what's going on. Does Albert Moeller believe what Curtis Wood said? Does the BDN Wibley believe what Curtis Wood said? Does Mere Orthodoxy believe what Curtis Wood said? Well, we're, we're going to find out, at least a little bit. Now, I want to briefly review. Those of you who have, haven't watched the video um, are going to find this interesting. Those of you who have, this will be a review for you, but I want to talk about, just very briefly, what has Matthew Hall actually said about critical race theory? What, what leads us to believe that what Curtis Woods, how Curtis Woods has characterized what he said is true, that this is in fact critical race theory? Well, first of all, Matthew Hall said that uh, his world blew up, his words, 
blew up my whole world when I went to a secular university after being in Christian colleges and I finally found out that I had a racialized lens. Matthew Aldous saying, I have a racialized lens and in fact, I'm a racist. He says this twice in 2016 and 2018. I'm a racist. 2018, he adds, I'm a white supremacist. And he says the reason for this is because he's immersed in a culture where he benefits from racism all the time. That's the basis for it. So hold this thought for a moment. He also says uh, that um, race is not biological, it's, it's ideological, it's, it's power, it's status. Uh, racism is a system, this is his quote, built on allocating privileges, power, opportunities in inequitable ways on the basis of race. So this is very consistent with critical race theorists say. This is Richard Delgado, right? <laughs> Hall also says that Billy Graham and everything surrounding his ministry is, it's, it's a whole lot of whiteness. <laughs> it really is what it is. I mean, this is the world he lives in. Billy Graham and everything in his ministry, it's whiteness. Uh, he, he says that his own elder board at his church, you know, it's, uh, it's not very diverse. It's not very multicultural. It's all white. Southern Seminary itself is very white. Remarkably white is what he says. And this is a problem. So what's the solution? Well, the solution for Hall is that, first of all, in his capacity as a historian and a theologian, he needs to show people that everything that they thought, and here's his quote, about their family, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to start earlier here, about, this is his quote, about your tradition, your denomination, your own family, he is going to, quote, pull back, pull the veil back. And what looked like this narrative of faithfulness and orthodoxy and truth and righteousness and justice, I'm going to peel that back and show you the rotting corpse of white supremacy that's underneath the surface. Now, I told you to hold the thought just a minute ago um, about, you know, what Hall was saying about uh, he, he is a white supremacist, he is a racist. Well, so the rotting corpse of white supremacy must reach him. It must reach right into the year 2019. Let me paint the picture for you. If you are a Christian, let's say, let's say you're a Baptist, let's say you come from a long line of pastors and your family is very proud of this, or at least thankful for this legacy. And it stretches way back to England, 1611 London Baptist Confession types. And you say, you know what? I'm so grateful God put me in this family. Matthew Hall's gonna say, you know what? You gotta take into account that there's a rotting corpse of white supremacy there because you know, I'm sure there's people in your family who, uh, you know, they, they were racists. Now, Matthew Hall is saying he's a racist. So, I mean, does this critique influence, I mean, does, does it apply to him? I mean, like, where do we draw this line? That's, that's, where, the white, that's where the critical race theory comes in because this, the defining racism as benefiting from systems of oppression, alleged systems of oppression, uh, broadens it so that, yeah, we, we all get hit, right? I mean, uh, I don't know where you start. Do you start in 95 when the Southern Baptists apologize for racism and say, okay, everything before that is bad, now we're good. Uh, well, according to Hall, I guess it applies to him. So 2019, you know, we, we can't ever start the clock. And I want to suggest, I can't get the, into this um, because there's tentacles going everywhere. And But this is a history that I've studied in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, when it comes to race. I'm, I've read the secondary sources. So those of you who say it started just over racism, white supremacy. And I, yes, I get it. I've read that. But if you read the primary sources, what you're going to find is that the Southern Baptist Convention started in 1845, specifically on the topic of slavery. If we, you know, there's other topics, but the topic of slavery, which was a major issue, specifically, uh, it was um, directed at those on the Boston Mission Board who posited the idea 
that slavery in and of itself was a sin and the relationship between master and slave was sinful. And Southern Baptist said, this isn't biblical. Now, how could they say that? In 2019, we look back, how could they say that? Well, the reason they said that is because it, just like the institution of marriage, just because you are a husband who is uh, <clears throat> beating your wife doesn't mean that someone who's a Christian who is um, faithful to his wife is affected by your sin. In other words, if you lived in a country where marriage is pretty bad, maybe the United States in 2019, you know, marriage is, is you know, mar- ending in divorce, uh, husbands beat their wives, wives cheat on their husbands. I mean, it's common. You know, there's horrible things going on, let's say. If you are a faithful husband, let's say, and you want to treat your wife well according to scripture and you're governed by biblical principles and you're in a system, there's a legal system with marriage. I mean, profaning a marriage, gay marriage. I mean, look, you're part of that system if you have a marriage license. Um, There are those who could potentially say, I've never heard anyone say it, but they could say, you're part of an evil system. And I would say, yeah, yeah, it is. Very corrupt. (laughs) Marriage in the United States and the legality of marriage and uh, the law when it concerns uh, adoption and no-fault divorce and all these things, it's horrible. But you know what? I'm not sinning. Because I'm part of that and because I have a marriage license doesn't mean that I am sinning because I'm part of that system. Let me give you another example. Christian welfare worker. Welfare uh, is not a good thing. The, The way that it's currently practiced, at least, in the United States, federal government, giving welfare checks and food stamps to those who aren't working. That's specifically what I'm talking about. Not saying that is all welfare, but but specifically that, that is not just. The Bible says that those who work should be the ones to eat. Those who don't work should not be allowed to eat. Now, um, yes, I know there's exceptions and principles. You know, I, I realize, but that is a general principle in the Bible, right? The welfare system does not take that principle into account. They're not running based off that principle. Am I going to then turn to a Christian who works in the welfare system and say, you know what? You're in sin. You're part of this evil system that's really enslaving people and producing generational welfare and dependency on the federal government. Nope, I'm not going to say that because hopefully that Christian is being a salt and a light in a dark environment. And that was really, I'm, I'm doing this injustice because I'm taking a nuanced historical reality and I'm trying to interpret it in like, two seconds. But but that's the critique that Southern Baptists had. You can't take what Paul said about Philemon and what even in the Old Testament, how slavery was regulated. Yeah, there's a bad system of slavery down here in the South and in the North because the Northerners were bringing the slaves over and in Africa where the slaves were being captured in tribal warfare and then sold to the Northern uh, you know, flesh merchants. Like this whole thing, yeah, it's not good. There's a lot of bad things. And yeah, some of the laws on the book are bad, but you know what? You can't say that a master is in sin just because he owns a slave. That is not biblical. Look, the Roman system of slavery was pretty bad. I don't remember gladiators uh, fighting to the death in the antebellum South, but it happened in uh, Rome. And yes, the Roman, you know, you weren't a slave if you were a citizen of Rome. So yeah, they're, they're sort of a, you want to call it ethnic, you can, or you can call it just based on your nationality, but yeah national base slavery and, and Paul writes in this environment this horrible environment where you know it was very common your slaves were uh, if you if you were a man your, your woman slaves were basically concubines um, and, and in many cases yeah you could rape them they didn't have the same rights because they weren't Roman citizens and so so anyway Paul writes in this environment and says you know what if you're a slave obey your master if you're a master you treat your slaves well and the Southern Baptist Convention when it formed, 
That was the objection they had to what the Boston Mission Board and some Northern Baptists were saying. They said, you are exceeding what the scripture says. Now, we can get into a whole conversation about slavery and, uh, and, and yes, good riddance to it, right? We're glad that that system is gone. I'm so glad. And, uh, and what has replaced it is not good in every sense. Um, as I just talked about generational welfare and um, a, a larger federal government and so forth and so on. But you know what? Yeah, we're really grateful that that is gone. And I think you can say that and you can look back at your Southern Baptist legacy and you can say, you know what? There's some warts in every family. There's some warts in this denomination. 2,000 years of Christian church history. I mean, uh, are we going to throw out John Chrysostom and Martin Luther and Augustine? Are we going to look at the things they said about Jewish people and say, you know what? Just a rotting corpse of white supremacy. Um, Or are we going to say, yeah, there's some warts, but we have a lot to learn. I'm telling you, this presentist lens is destroying everything, and it does come from a critical under theory understanding of history. Uh, it predates the, the modern critical race theory, the, this idea that we just need to throw out the past. But, but look what Matthew Hall says. He's agreeing that, yeah, it's a gangster's paradise in heaven. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, you know, I'm a white supremacist, and we need to show the rotting corpse of white supremacy. So we, we, we have to throw everything overboard, uh, essentially, and, and that's dangerous. I think it's perfectly fine. And I, have, I don't have a big legacy of Southern Baptists in my family. I have some. But if you are from a family that has Southern Baptists going back that are confessional, I think it's fine to be thankful for that legacy. In fact, that's what we see in the Bible. That's the thing. Guys, look how this... I mean, I'm going on a little rabbit trail here. And I'm going to get to what happened this week. Believe me. But I need to say this. If you look at King David and the sin that he committed, if you look at the patriarchs and... Look at the polygamy and the slavery and then all the things that they did. What does the Bible do with these men? Does it show them to be perfect men or does it point out that they had warts, but they are still heroes of the faith that need to be remembered? Moses at the, trans, at, at <clears throat> the transfiguration, who shows up there? Men who sinned. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus is called the son of David. I mean, guys, you want to start playing this game, you better throw out your Bible. And Matthew J. Hall is giving us great uh, ammunition for doing just that if we so intend. All right. Now, Matthew Hall wants to have a global curriculum to react to this. In other words, this is, this is the kicker, guys. He says, we need to pursue racial justice. His, his word, not mine. Uh, that makes white folks very nervous. In the last few years, and he's saying this, I think maybe he's referring to the Trump campaign, I don't know, there's been a normalization of almost explicitly racist language in the church. Racial justice includes pursuing a global curriculum influenced by non-white authors. And who's one of the ones that he says, he says, this is an example, he goes, W.E.B. Du Bois. He says he would cringe if he were identified as an evangelical, but there are so many things that haunt Du Bois in his writings that are deeply Christian. Check this out, guys. You need to throw overboard the rotting corpse of white supremacy that you see in your family, in your denomination, in your national heritage, whatever. But we need to include Du Bois, who's not orthodox, because he's Christ-haunted. This will destroy orthodox theology. It will undercut it, and if you don't see it, I'm going to give it one more shot a little later, but not much I can say to help you. This should be very clear including people who are not orthodox while trying to expose and, and throw overboard. I keep using that language because that, that seems like what Hall's trying to do. He's trying to shock people into like, 
look how bad your, your ancestors are, your orthodox ancestors. This isn't faithfulness. This is white supremacy. And you're and looking at it as an either or. There's an exclusion. It's either faithfulness or it's white supremacy. And then taking a guy who's literally not faithful because he's not orthodox, and, but, but because he's not a white supremacist, he's all good. We need to include him in our curriculum. It's insanity, guys. It's insanity. At the provo- this is the provost of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, uh, continuing on to this week, let's fast forward to Monday. Now, what does Albert Moeller have to say about all this? Albert Moeller uh, puts, and if you're watching, uh, you can see this, he, he tweets, um, what a great and historic opening convocation week we had at SBTS and Boyce College. Uh, this is Matthew Hall. He's signing the Abstract of Principles, Our Confession of Faith. Now, here's something that's interesting. This is a week old, this news. Matthew Hall already posted about this. Albert Muller's tweeted a bunch of things since then. Uh, but yet he feels it necessary to bring up a picture of him and say, this is the highlight of the last week. He's, he's, he's saying, everyone notice Matthew Hall is confessional. Now, he doesn't say here, I'm doing this because of the video that was released on Friday, but I'll show you what everyone else thinks. <laughs> everyone else is posting the video. Albert Muller, look at this video. Look what Matthew Hall believes. And there's a lot of people posting it. Believe me, look. <laughs> here was what I posted. I posted, this isn't working, here's why. And I posted an article that I had written that was populated onto the Enemies Within the Church website um, called Why Faith Statements Won't Save Us. And uh, you can go to worldviewconversation.com if you want to see that article. Uh, But I said, I plead with you, please fight critical race theory, not in the world, not on your show, but in the household of faith, specifically the SBC and SBTS. You were a hero of mine. This breaks my heart. We need the conviction to lead more than ever. And of course, that's a reference to Al Mohler's book, Conviction to Lead. And it does break my heart. It really does. This is a funeral for a friend. This is not a day to rejoice that someone was exposed. This is a day to lament that this kind of exposure needs to take place, but it does. Let me ask you this question. There's two options that I can see. Either Al Mohler is putting this up there as a statement against heretics that Matthew J. Hall uh, does not agree with you, because that's what a statement of faith is for, or he's putting it up as a shield against conservatives to point out that Matthew J. Hall is not a heretic. Which one is it? I don't think it's the former, guys. I really don't think it is. I think he's putting this up there. It's the only thing that makes sense to me because Matthew J. Hall has been exposed and Al Mohler now uh, needs to somehow respond to this. And the only thing he knows how to do is to circle back to Matthew J. Hall is orthodox. In the article I wrote before Mohler did this, I pointed out that in 1923, J. Gresham Machen had made the statement that professors were signing the Westminster Confession while believing ideas that undercut the Westminster Confession, and he called it hypocrisy, and he called it a different religion. Liberalism is a different religion. It's the same thing here, guys. Critical race theory is a different religion. It's a postmodern religion. It will destroy the hermeneutics that are grammatical and historical, and some people in pop uh, terminology say literal, uh, because you have to now back up an intellectual step and try to look at everything through the lens you have, which is determined by your social group. It destroys objectivity. And Matthew Hall is adopting ideas from critical race theory. That is that postmodern idea. He's saying we need to have a global curriculum. Why is that? So we can look at things from other perspectives, not measuring it based on orthodoxy at all. He throws that out, but measuring it based on the cultural lenses people look through and making a diverse panoply of cultural lenses. 
uh, so people can study. This will undercut the inerrancy of scripture, and I will say it in no uncertain terms, this is heresy. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care if I'm thrown overboard by the moderates for it, guys. This is the J. Gresham Machen moment. We're reliving history, and it's history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, and it's rhyming really clearly right now. All right. This is what Albert Moeller's doing, and I find it absolutely disgusting from a man that I respected for so many years, and it absolutely breaks my heart. Let's turn now to Thibidiana Wibley. Here's the objection that Thibidiana Wibley gives. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Thibidiana Wibley has changed the picture on this since September 3rd when he posted it. I don't know if that's because A.D. Robles did a video where he kind of mocked it, but originally there was a picture here of kind of like, is there life out there? And it said, is there truth out there? And it was like the solar system, like trying to communicate with aliens saying, um, or rather it says, is there a social justice movement? I think was the caption, but he's saying that those who say that there's a social justice movement, it's like they're trying to contact aliens. They're conspiracy theorists. They're crazy. And he's changed that now to a random picture of people walking on a street. I don't get that, but okay. His title is, is there an evangelical social justice movement? We really have to ask that question. If, if A lot of people pointed this out. I didn't discover this. But if you go on the Gospel Coalition's website and you just type in, uh, here, here it is if you're watching, by the way. If, if you type in social justice, uh, what's going to come up are 4,000 results, over 4,000 for that term. So the very website that this is being hosted on, which is the Gospel Coalition, um, they seem to think there's a social justice movement when there's 4,000 hits for that word. Now, uh, I'm not going to interact with everything here because it's not worth it, but uh, it it's kind of just like burying your head in the sand if you don't think there's a social justice movement. But I want to specifically focus on one thing. I want to go down here to Jarvis Williams. Now, he is responding, to Dan Wibley, to Tom Askell. Tom Askell did a uh, talk back in the spring, in March, and he mentions Jarvis Williams, who recommended uh, Richard Delgado's critical race theory to Christians. And he says, this is an example of critical race theory entering evangelicalism. And Jarvis Williams um, was also one of the professors in this video montage put out last Friday, which is linked in the info section, by the way, if you want to check it out. Now, Jarvis Williams says some crazy stuff, in my opinion. He says that Jesus died to, uh, for racial reconciliation. He says that it is part of the gospel, basically. And one of the, the most startling thing he says at the end of the video is, you should be willing to fight for uh, racial reconciliation the same way you would die for uh, the, um, I believe it was the atonement, um, or penal substitution is actually what he says. It's on the same level, penal substitution and racial reconciliation. And of course, in his world, racial reconciliation uh, is the decentering of whiteness, the promotion, it's multicultural, it's all, it's all the stuff we've already been talking about. So, so that's on the same level as penal substitution, that guy, Jarvis Williams. Now, I have to ask the question, the same thing I did with Al Mohler. I said, why is Mohler pulling up old news from a week ago? Why is the BDN Wibley pulling up something from Tom Askell from March? Why? I don't know if it's because Jarvis Williams is on the ropes all of a sudden, but I suspect it is because he, this hasn't, the BDN and Wibley had a lot of opportunity to interact with Tom Askell's video and he didn't. And, uh, Jarvis Williams now is sort of in the news, as they say, and it, if you want to attack uh, those who are giving Jarvis Williams a hard time, this is an easy way to do it. But not giving credence to enemies within the church or, I don't know, Pulpit and Pen or any of these other websites 
Um, and, and I'm not lumping them all together, by the way. I'm not saying that Enemies Within the Church is the same as Pulpit and Pen. I think there's differences between them and uh, N.A.D. Robles and New Christian Intellectual and all these websites. But, um, but, but I, I think, you know, they all carried this story. Founders did not. Tom Askell did not. But nonetheless, Jarvis Williams is on the ropes. And Thabiti and Wibley, I don't know if he found a way to respond to those criticisms while acknowledging Tom Askell, who's maybe has a, has a more moderate uh, reputation. Well, maybe not now that the Founders trailer is released. I don't know. But, but he doesn't have to acknowledge the guys he, he, he probably really doesn't care for as much. Like, you know, the guys I just mentioned. So... I don't know. That's an idea. But um, nonetheless, he's talking about Jarvis Williams. And here's the argument. So Jarvis Williams uh, recommends this book, Critical Race Theory. And he says, well, that's not evidence that critical race theory is coming into the church because Jarvis is a committed scholar. And what do scholars do? They read, they write, they recommend books. It's their craft, their stock, their trade. And, and so he, he says that this is just what Christian scholars do. He's not smuggling in critical race theory. Uh, he's not um, talking about Gramsci or Derrida here. He's not smuggling in their ideas. And I think uh, <laughs> uh, Tom Askell wrote a brilliant, just, just a great response to this when he points out a lot of other examples of social justice coming into evangelicalism. And he says, you know, the book he's recommending does talk about Gramsci and it does talk about um, <clears throat> uh, Marx and it does talk about uh, Derrida, and it does talk, you know, he's saying this is in the book that's being recommended, and Thabitiana Wibley, this is so pathetic, I, and I, I should have pulled this up, but on Twitter, um, Thabitiana Wibley admits that he hasn't read the book. He hasn't read Delgado's Critical Race Theory. He doesn't read anything by critical race theorists. Therefore, he's not influenced, which, by the way, that's like saying, uh, I, I guess if you don't read anything by a racist, you're not influenced by racism, right, Matthew Hall? No, they don't think it works that way. Um, but you know, I don't read anything about democracy, so yeah, I'm not influenced by it. I don't read anything about, you know, choose whatever idea you want. You are influenced by a lot of things you don't read about. In fact, probably more influenced if you don't read about it because you're not aware that you're being influenced. That being said, um, this is the Beanie and Wibley's argument. I didn't, I haven't read those things. So a book he hasn't read that actually talks about communists and postmodernists, Fabian Webley is saying those ideas aren't being smuggled in, even though it's being recommended by a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mental gymnastics this takes, guys, are insane. Uh, so I don't know. So, so Al Mohler is, is, let's put up the shield of the, Matthew Hall signed the abstract and principles. That's a shield. And then Fabian Webley is like, let's do some mental gymnastics and ignore. So it, it, it's not just covering up and deflecting, this is ignoring that there's even a social justice movement. Um, he follows up with another article, uh, and this was from today. So I'm just going to show you this uh, really quick. Insistence is not evidence. A final reply to Tom Askell. Now, the only thing I really wanted to point out from this article, there's a lot we could talk about, but uh, I don't want to spend too much time on it, is he, he uh, scrolling down here, if you're watching, he basically accuses Tom Askell of using the genetic fallacy, which is essentially like, yeah, there's a common, uh, you know, it sounds like something else, therefore it came from that correlation and causation. Now, I've already said this once in this video, but uh, in the case of Matthew Hall, it is Curtis Woods who is saying, yeah, Matthew Hall is a good, he understands critical race theory. 
so, so this is a primary source right now. You know, we're talking about Matthew Hall. But in the case of um, Jarvis Williams, uh, who is recommending a critical race theory book uh, to be read, that also attributes socialists and uh, postmodernists with critical theory ideas. It is not the genetic fallacy to say correlation equals cause. You, you sound like this other person, therefore you got ideas from them. No, no, they're attributing the ideas to critical race theorists. Like, I, I, I yeah, what more can you say? All right, I'm going to move on because that, uh, it's, it's so weak, it's so obvious, there's like nothing more for me to point out. Let's go to one of the most interesting articles this week. This is from Mere Orthodoxy. So, Notes on the Evangelical Dark Web. Ooh, there's a little abandoned house, it looks like. And so it's, you know, first it was aliens with the BD. You know, there is no Evangelical Dark, uh, there, there is no um, social justice movement. And now it's the haunted house, the, the abandoned house. Notes on the Evangelical Dark Web. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're vilifying something that's not really that bad. So, so here's the narrative I'm weaving. Uh, I'm showing you, here's the picture of the house. Uh, Al Mohler, uh, a shield. These guys are orthodox. They may believe this, this stuff, but, but these guys are orthodox. The Bediana Wibbly, uh, it, it's their conspiracy theorist crazy guys because there is no social justice movement. And now mere orthodoxy, well, there may be something going on, but it's, they're, they're, they're vilifying it. They're, they're the ones that are putting words in people's mouth and showing, they're making stuff up. They're showing something that uh, isn't, doesn't, isn't really there. They're, they're making you fool yourself when you look at what they're doing. It's sleight of hand. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you this <laughs> article. Uh, this is just so good. Uh, this is like one of my favorite articles right now. So the, the Evangelical Dark Web is a designation adopted by a group of evangelical social media personalities and bloggers centered around a few various websites, such as For the Christian Intellectual, Pulpit and Pen, Sovereign Nations, and Enemies Within the Church. Now, I was not included in this. I mean, I've contributed some articles to Enemies Within the Church, uh, but, you know, I'm not, that's not my, um, uh, my ministry or whatever. Like, I have my own podcast. So, I will consider myself absolved of uh, the evangelical dark web label, uh, if possible, and I will objectively uh, bring you through this. <laughs> this article, I'm sorry, I'm holding back laughter a little bit because it's just funny to me. As I go through this, I'm going to be asking an important question. Are there primary sources to back any of the insinuations in this article up? In other words, does he quote an outside source? Says, Here's where there's an example of this going on. Let's, let's look at the first example here. Uh, one could assert that the self-proclaimed evangelical dark web is insurgent in character. I mean, I don't remember, I mean, I, I know the guys at Enemies Within the Church and Sovereign Nations. I don't remember them ever using the term evangelical dark web, but, but uh, yeah, moving on. Um, its overall aim is institutional takeover. Its intermediate aim is intellectual capture of the target population, 18 to 30-year-old conservative evangelicals, particularly males. Ooh. Now, let me ask you, are there any primary sources here whatsoever? Like, does he um, show, yeah, here, here's an example of where sovereign nations or enemies within the church or pulpit and pen or any of these guys, like, are, are saying we want those 18 to 30-year-old males. And our aim is to do an institutional takeover. And, uh, you know, we are insurgents and we've called ourselves the evangelical dark web. Nope, nope, no reference there uh, whatsoever. 
Uh, this is gonna this is gonna be the Achilles heel of this article. It is a complete self refutation, and I'm wondering if it's just projection. Uh, but here's here's what he says. I'm gonna move on here and show you why. Here's the strategy uh, that we are allegedly, I say we, uh, those in the evangelical dark web who, uh, again, I'm not, you know, I'm not part of this, but um, you know, those guys. Uh, this, this is the alleged strategy. They're going to embarrass the regime in power. Okay, no, no citation there that that's their motive. I mean, this is all motive stuff, right? Uh, they're going to make it uh, appear weak and corrupt. Okay, no citation. Interesting. Create online zones of counter control. Yeah, don't see uh, a reference there. Uh, tempt the regime in power to over-respond in a heavy-handed and inept manner. No, no, no primary source to back that up. Uh, through expansion of its captured target population over time, overwhelm the regime. Hmm. Haven't seen that on Enemies Within the Church website. Interesting. I, I didn't know that I was uh, helping people that believed that they were doing this. Uh, and its primary tactic is the rhetorical hammer. Okay, well, um, that, that's good for starters. Uh, what should we do? I mean, speaking again as someone who's not part of this, what should we do to combat this horrible development? Well, here's what he says. Here's the steps that need to be taken. <laughs> Look at the first step, guys. Look at the first step. I'm going to read it for you. Demand citations and evidence for every assertion. Demand. Oh, guys, guys, um, I don't know this. He, apparently this is like a counterintelligence guy or something. He works for the government, which makes me fearful, uh, for who we have working in our government, but, um, demand citations and evidence for every assertion. <laughs> Did he just do that? He just made like eight assertions, no citations, no evidence. Demand context for every pull quote. Fact check every infographic. Force them back to original sources, books, dissertations, at every possible juncture. <laughs> so, so, oh man, I shouldn't be laughing. This is actually sad. I feel bad for the guy who wrote this. Um, think about this with me for a second. Let's, let's just go with enemies within the church because I'm most familiar with them because I know the director and I've given them, I mean, I've allowed them to populate their website with a few of my articles. Um, everything that I've seen there has been pretty much like chapter and verse. Look at the articles. It is all cited pretty much. It's like, you know, it's all primary source stuff. And yeah, I mean, I love this. Yeah, we should demand citations. Absolutely. But let's apply that standard to the other side as well. In this very article, like the last paragraph, there are no citations. And then he's like, you should all demand citations of the evangelical dark web. Well, yeah, go to the articles at enemieswithinthechurch.com and look, see if there's citations there for what's being claimed. The montage video that came out last week, which perhaps maybe this is a response to that. I don't know. But yeah, there's original citations. In fact, the whole thing is just an original citation. That's all it is. It's all primary sources. There's no like interpretive framework. I mean, obviously you choose which videos go where and stuff, but like... No one came out and said, here's what you should think. It's just, here are the videos. And they're presented in such a way that you can see there's a narrative. There's a, something in common. And so that's the interpretation, I guess. But it's just guys in their own words. Uh, so that oh, this is just, this kills me, this article. Um, moving on here. Question all characterizations every time. If they say something is socialist or cultural Marxist, always make them define the term and support the assertion with evidence. Yeah, I think that's good. 
And, and I think uh, the same goes for the other side. If you use terms like, oh, I don't know, evangelical dark web, you know, really flesh out what that means. Um, you know, if you use, yeah, whatever pejorative you want to use, uh, I, the, those who are, believe in white supremacy, um, if you, I don't know, discernment bloggers, like just talk about them in a way that defines what you're saying. I agree. Uh, interrogate the interrogator, research, write, and post accurate stories about the individuals and groups in the evangelical dark web. Okay. I mean, if you're going to be accurate, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Do an article about Judd Saul, director at Enemies Within the Church. Look at his past work. He did a bunch of movies against the IRS and communism and all sorts of things. Yep. Very consistent what he's doing now with what he's done before. Um, how do they get their funding? Yeah. Ask Judd where he gets his funding. It's pretty much donations and scraping the bottom of the barrel like, like, not like trying to get like donations from individuals, mostly who are middle class, who just want to make like a small donation to fight this stuff. Um, would happy to, have, to see that question answered by him. Uh, host college and young career fellowship content analysis viewing party. So this, he's fearful that young guys are getting drawn in by uh, evangelical dark web. So you got to like host um, stuff and, and talk about the... Uh, <laughs> This is great. The upcoming social justice infiltration video. Social justice infiltration video. What do you think he could be possibly talking about? Well, um, I mean, that was pretty much the video that happened last Friday. It just makes me believe he probably is writing this in response to that. Slowly walk the audience through the video itself. Discuss framing, the quality of evidence and argumentation, and the backgrounds of the documentary's backers, hosts, and talking heads. Okay, well, um, yeah, I mean, I'd be glad if you examine the evidence. It's all there. I, I actually watched all the primary sources in that video. It all checks out, dude. It is worse than you would have thought once you realize, like, what's actually going on there. All right, fight the temptation to get certain outlets or personalities to do battle on your behalf. All right, so we got to do it ourselves. So we need, we need more responses. Yay, okay. <laughs> yeah, give us more press, right? I keep saying us because <laughs> I think he's talking about me, but he's not. I got to remember that. It's so even Jekyll Dark Web. All right, so more more people responding. So that's just going to like boost uh, the view counts for videos like this one. Uh, get solid material on intellectual and social history into the hands of 18 to 30-year-olds. Oh, what, what would that be, I wonder? What, what kind of stuff? Um, talk about the, the, un, the influence of the Frankfurt School and basically downplay it. Uh, if you host a book club, um, publish certain bio... Okay, so... So educate yourself on these things. I love this idea. Yeah, we should educate ourselves on the Frankfurt School, but not just them. On um, How about uh, Kimberly Crenshaw-Williams? Let, let's go all the way up into the 1980s and intersectionality. Let's talk about that too. Be over-transparent. About, this is the best one. Guys, this is the best one. Be over-transparent about outside funding. Uh, it should take downloading and reviewing multiple PDFs. And okay, so he goes into details that like seminaries should just be open that like stop scrubbing current family foundation stuff from your website just admit what you got i love this i love this yes yes um social justice promoting seminaries please be honest and show us where you're getting your funding from that's what we're trying to accomplish right um i mean so we we're in lockstep with this guy on this uh, be, be very open about normal organization behavior uh, and, and so, uh, be transparent if you're a big Eva guy and, uh, okay. So, um, <laughs> so again, he rehashes at the end and he adds 30 pieces of silver to this. That's, I think Thomas Littleton's blog. He says, sovereign nations, pulpit and pen, 30 pieces of silver capstone report. He adds them and the new Christian intellectual, 
um, look at their strategic cross posting. Yeah, because they're like trying to accomplish some of the same goals. And he's almost trying to build like that's a conspiracy. They think we're a conspiracy. They're a conspiracy. They're not being honest. Blah blah blah. All right, this guy. Uh, let's go to the bottom here. Uh, he is, um, according to the bio here, a supervisory intelligence analyst of the United States government, and it's an adjunct professor. Uh, Patrick Henry College. Wow, I didn't know Patrick Henry had guys like this there. Uh, but <clears throat> it's interesting to me that he's a counterintelligence guy, and this is the like one of the biggest self-refuting articles I've ever read in my life. Um, it, I he's treating this like like an intelligence guy would, though I guess in some ways, like respond to it the way you would like uh, a, a an insurgency. Here's an interesting thing, though, to me. I, I, I just got to point this out. I, I was like, who's mere orthodoxy? I've heard of this website. They say that we take our cues from our boys, C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton, two of the most thoughtful Christians of the 20th century. One of them wrote mere Christianity, the other orthodoxy. We like those books. And then they say, uh, the, the website says, our, their thoughtfulness wasn't abstract. It was rooted in, the, um, in challenges and struggles that England was facing their time. And their mission was to demonstrate how a classically minded, creedly centered Orthodox Christianity was an attractive and persuasive alternative to the ideologies of their day. Now, how is that different than some of the stuff the supposed evangelical dark web is doing? Aren't they doing the same thing? Aren't they looking at, I mean, it's not England, it's America, but aren't we looking at um, the ideologies of our day? Isn't that what enemies within the church is doing? They're, they're trying to, to look at these horrible ideologies that come from Marxism, and they're saying there is an alternative, and it's Orthodox Christianity. I, I, I mean, it's just interesting to me that they say this, and they like to hearken back to Lewis and Chesterton. Let me show you something. This is from uh, Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis. Um, <clears throat> now, they didn't have the critical theory stuff as much, the postmodernism as much uh, back then. But, uh, but this is what Lewis says. Uh, this is uh, the demon, uh, Screwtape, uh, writing to Wormwood. He says, uh, on, on the other hand, we do want and want very much to make men treat Christianity as a means, preferably, uh, of course, as a means to their own advancement, but failing that as a means to anything, even to social justice. The thing to do is get a man at first to value social justice as a thing which the enemy demands and then work him onto the stage at which he values Christianity because it may produce social justice. I bet you C.S. Lewis, if he were alive today in the American context, he'd probably sign the statement on social justice. Just guessing. But he sees it as a distraction. He, he saw it now back in his day. He saw what he saw in England, uh, which promoted itself as social justice as a distraction. Now, what did uh, G.K. Chesterton say? This is in the Collected Works of G.K. Chesterton. He says, socialism is tyranny. It is inevitably, even avowedly, and almost justifiably a tyranny. It is the pretense that government can prevail all injustice, injustice, look at the word, by being directly responsible for practically anything that happens. The whole objection to socialism is in two words of the Roman poet, in um, <clears throat> in stands ty Tyrannus. For the workmen, those almost untranslatable words must be translated, perhaps roughly this. Bolshevism is worse even than the present condition, because at present it's still possible that if one man hates me and will not sell me bricks, another will, or somebody else may sell me timber and I will make a hut or a caravan. But if I have offended the officials and their own 
uh, and they own all the bricks, all the timber, all the very ground. There is no liberty but left uh, but death. So this is what G.K. Chesterton said about socialism, and notice the word injustice there. Obviously, different forms of it, different flavors coming from uh, those streams, though, is what we're dealing with today. And it's not like anyone's being a secret, uh, secretive about it. Richard Delgado, on like page four of Critical Race Theory, credits socialists with uh, some, as one of the stream that flows into the ideas, the postmodern critical theory ideas that are being implemented now. Lewis and Chesterton would have probably been accused of being part of the evangelical dark web. Um, did they cite anything uh, in their writings? Were they, I mean, just go through the list of, of uh, things that this author wants us to do uh, when we evaluate the evangelical dark web. Could those things be applied, those um, those critiques to Lewis and Chesterton. I think they could. I think they could. So I'm hoping whoever runs mere orthodoxy will wake up and realize that uh, they're, they're having a hard time uh, being contradictory here. Um, so that's, that, those are the three things. This is the narrative I wanted to weave. Um, I'm going to end it with a hopeful note a little bit here. So I said a few weeks ago uh, that I wanted to showcase seminaries and institutions that have not bowed the knee to social justice uh, and they are fighting it. And I want to specifically mention one seminary today. There's a few, um, well, it's a Bible school, actually. There's a few others that um, I have that I'm going to mention at some point, but I'm still compiling this list. If you have recommendations, please send them to me. But one of them is Appalachian Bible College. Appalachian Bible College. If you are a parent and you have a son or daughter or if you are listening to this and you're thinking about colleges to go to and you want to go to a Christian college, and there's plenty of good reasons to do that, I think it would be wise for you to consider Appalachian Bible College. Um, and the reason I say that is because the faculty at Appalachian Bible College are, um, at least, i got to be careful of how far I go with this, but uh, um, I, I am just aware that they are, uh, at least in one of the departments there, which is the major department you'd want the faculty to be briefed in, they are being briefed and, and taught about the dangers of critical race theory, intersectionality, and postmodernism, etc. They want to take a stand against this movement. And I encourage you to send your son or your daughter there, uh, as opposed, don't, don't send them to Boyce College. Don't send them to... Um, the Southeastern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary's undergrad program. Uh, send them to a place where they're going to get a good education, have a lot of fun. By the way, no one paid me to say this. I say have fun because they do like whitewater rafting and stuff. They're in West Virginia and they got a lot of cool stuff going on in that area. I, I will just say this. You go to like a place like Southeastern or, or in Louisville, I mean, it's a little flat. I'm just saying there's just not as much to do. But you go to West Virginia, I mean, there's a lot of fun stuff to do. So... Take that for what it's worth, uh, but but you're gonna. I'm just. You can trust that the the faculty there is trying to take measures against this, and I am so grateful for them for that reason. And so uh, that is my encouragement. There are some people waking up, and there are some places that you can go. So please uh, support the colleges and institutions, and I'm going to be revealing more that are trying to take a stand against this. Uh, there's very few of them, and we need to get behind them. So uh, that is my my critique. That is the video for this week in review. And if you want to know more about how you can support uh, my work on Patreon, go to the link below. Uh, and oh, 
for the Patreon supporters who uh, wanted the Gospel Coalition, well, it's really Social Gospel Coalition, uh, t-shirts, they are going to be sent uh, very soon. And if you are a Patreon supporter or want to become one, then you can contact me if you want uh, a shirt that uh, says the Social uh, Gospel Coalition. I think two videos ago I'm wearing one uh, in, in the broadcast. So uh, you can go check that out. And, um, and that's all I have. So God bless. I hope this was helpful. Bye now. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.